Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and the Creativity Gurus is now under one brand, Out of Silence. Peace. Greetings, Hepcats. On this edition of Creativity Gurus, I speak with Andrea Earhart. She is a fine artist, a muralist, and host of the Artist Academy Podcast. She is a wealth of information when it comes to the business of art. I really had a great time with this. I think you don't have to be a fine artist to learn from her. She has so much just great advice. So no matter what your craft is, you're going to learn something. If you like what I do, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Let's be internet friends. And now, let's get to my interview with Andrea Earhart on this edition of Creativity Gurus. My guest today is Andrea Earhart, fine artist and muralist. She has worked with organizations like Bass Pro Shops, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Duck Commander, The Dickerson Zoo, and many more. She started the Artist Academy to help aspiring and established artists who want to level up their art business. So welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about my favorite subject, which is art. <laughs> I know, right? So um, I want to go back. I heard on an, um, another interview with you that you went to college for business before yeah. switching to painting. But before that, were you doing art before you went to college? Yeah. So I think I was like most of us artists in the beginning, you know, in like second grade or whatnot, you get kind of pointed out like, oh, she could have something, you know. And so I kind of grew up like thinking that, you know, I had some kind of art ability, but never thinking that I could actually make a job out of it or earn money. And I'm very ambitious and I just wanted really big things out of life. And so I was like, okay, art is not the way to go, which is funny. <laughs> no, no way. Like I need to do big things. I want to maybe be a CEO of a company or something. And so at, in college, I decided to major in general business. So I could hit, you know, I did a bunch of marketing classes, accounting, and just had like a broad general overview of business. And it wasn't until my second year in college that I was like, you know what? I think my high school art teacher just has the best art job in the world. Like she just gets to paint every day. Because again, I just didn't think that I could paint for a living. I was like, okay, maybe I can just teach. And right. I, I definitely have a love for teaching. And so then I started majoring in art, art education. And then towards the end of my college time, I just kind of noticed that I didn't have the same love for teaching younger kids like everybody right. everybody else did. And I really just wanted to see what I could do in the painting world or the business world or something. I, I really didn't know. So I graduated college 
uh, with a painting degree. And I remember saying, okay, great. I have a degree in coloring. What the heck am I going to do with this? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, it's just kind of funny how things have worked out. I've always gone in the direction of things I like. I like teaching, you know, I like painting and I like business. And it's so funny to me how I never planned to make it full circle and be using all of those nowadays. It's just, it's so funny how things work out. Yeah. And you know, I always say to artists, they should take some business classes or something. I mean, that is the one thing that people just don't get. Like you could be amazing at your craft, but if you want to make a business, you're going to have to know business. Now, I know, you know, I think people might get discouraged sometimes when they see, I mean, you do some amazing art, but what was your art like at college? Like, how, how have you progressed? Were you that good in college? <laughs> no. And it's so funny because now it's so apparent to me that the more hours you have, the better you are, which is why you know, all the older artists that are in their you know, 60s, 70s, that are just amazing. They've had so many hours. And so, yeah, right. they're going to be so much better than us. So whenever I see someone that's ahead of me or way better than me, I'm like, ah, I have time. And that's honestly what I think. I'm like, they just have way more hours than I do. But yeah, I remember in high school specifically, I would spend all day trying to make the sky and the clouds and trying to make it work and blending and it wouldn't work and it would dry so fast and I would just get so aggravated. And then in college, I always loved to paint big. Even in college, I had really big canvases that I would use. I really didn't care about the small stuff. I would just go really big. And it's just so funny how now I'm doing murals. And like I said, it just kind of builds upon itself and you end up where you should be if you're listening to yourself. But yeah, I just painted really big. But no, I struggled with it a lot. I really forced myself to learn how to blend. And it's there was just so many steps to figure out how to paint. But really, it really just comes down to, you know, finding a really good reference photo and copying it and copying it the best way you know how. And the, you know, my progress from five, five years ago, 10 years ago, even has, you know, I've just gotten so much better. (laughs) And every year I'll I'll look back at stuff and think, Oh, I thought that was really good. And like, Oh, you know exactly where I could improve that now. So, Are you like an eternal optimist though? Because I mean, when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, God, I could be in the worst mood and listen to your podcast and all of a sudden it feels like it's a bright sunny day. Oh like, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm, that makes me so happy. <laughs> well, like, are you just uh, one of those people who are optimistic? Um yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I just I don't know, I just although I don't know I don't know where that came from exactly, but I think more so on the podcast is I'm talking about things that I love. And so when you're talking about something you love, you're excited about it. And, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely not like that 24 hours a day, (laughs) normally very quiet, just very reserved. And I just, yeah, I'm definitely not smiling all day. (laughs) Are you, um, are you using oil or like, I don't know, like a mural, obvious blending with oil on, on a canvas versus brick. I mean, what, what paints do you use? So I'm an all acrylic kind of gal. Okay. I, I love that they dry fast, even though in the beginning it was really tough. And I've tried oil. I've tried a bunch of different stuff. And I think that's really important to try all the different things, watercolor, sculpture, all of it. Mm-hmm. Before you land on your thing, I really love acrylics. It's just, I don't know, the 
oil, there's just so much dry time and it's just but isn't it harder chemical. to blend? Like, isn't it harder to blend acrylics? Um, kind. Do I you just, use that method that people use to slow the drying? Do you use that? Like, what they, people put stuff in the acrylics to slow drying time? Oh uh, nope. I am no. Like, wow. Very fast <laughs> painter. Yeah, I'm just a very fast painter, and I like to work in layers. So a lot of the times when I'm painting something, I'll put the whole canvas down in one layer and then I'll do another layer on top of it and then another layer. And that's just how I've taught myself slash learned how to paint. We did a lot of oils in college and I I don't know, I think I just had more practice with acrylic because Mm -hmm. right out of college, I would just use the, the acrylics on windows and murals and then working for Bass Pro, everybody there used interior latex paint and Novas, which are all acrylic. And so I just, yeah, that's just what the, what I have the most practice in, I guess. And so when you get you have more practice, you get faster and yeah, just working in layers. All right. So um, let's talk about I, like how you got started painting. Like I'm the opposite of you. If I'm going to draw or anything like that, I do small. I like small. Like <laughs> When I see you on those like lifts going up high of buildings, that I'm afraid of heights, so I could never do what you do. <laughs> um, but uh, where did that start? Like all of a sudden, um, I'm going to start painting big murals. Well, I'm also scared of heights. <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also very scared of heights, and wow. yeah, it takes me a while to get used to being up there. And but once you're up there for so long. It's kind of like you just you just get used to it, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of the lifts have like a a swaying thing, especially in the wind. Mm-hmm. They'll get moved a lot, or sometimes if wow. they're if they're reached out too far, and I move, it'll it'll move the whole thing. So at first I'm just like Ugh, gripping onto it, <laughs> but then wow. after a while, after a while I'm kind of just like bouncing around up there. <laughs> it's okay. just a little, like like I mentioned with painting, it's just the more time you spend with it, the the easier it gets. <laughs> But um, yeah, murals started with Bass Pro Shops. I started off doing people's logos around town, so businesses' logos, because that's just what people asked for. And I just that's just the niche that I fell into. I started. I said yes to everything. So, As, so, but but at what point does somebody say? I, did you walk up to them, knock on the door, and say, "Can I paint a, your logo on the side of your building or um, somewhere in the town?" I think it came where I was posting some, let's see, how was the the first one got started? Because, so I I mentioned, I love, I love business. I'm Mm -hmm. a born, a born entrepreneur kind of a thing, kind of a thing. So my job before I was painting was basically do promotional marketing, um, which is like a fancy word for like the girls who stand in front of cars at car shows. <laughs> like, and I started out doing that. And then I had my own little promotional marketing team to where, you know, people would hire me and then I would like employ different girls to go out and do different shows. Anyway, I had my first customer through that. That's, I met a lot of business owners who, you know, I would staff their promotional events. And so with meeting business owners, finally it came up that, Hey, like I need girls, blah, blah. blah. I'm also going to be redoing this, you know, the outdoor, my store, I'm going to need something painted. And I was like, Oh, 
I could probably do that too. You know, I'll just do okay, everything. Great. Yeah. And so he was like, okay. And I was just very honest with the first one. I was like, well, I mean, I have a painting degree, but I have no idea how to, you know, paint giant letters and logos on the side of your building. So I just kind of asked around. I found somebody who had a projector and I borrowed it. And yeah, I was like, we'll just figure it out. So I did that one logo for, it was a popular outdoor store. Or no, it was a, a um, Oh, it was Pitbull Power Sports. So it was a power sports company and in a great location here in town. And I just posted the heck out of it. I remember the owner being like, I just telling him, Hey, I'm I'm wanting to get into art. I just don't know how. And he was like, okay, let me help you. Like, we're going to do this and you should post about it in the beginning, in the middle, in the end, just post about it. That way other people will see what you're doing and they'll ask you. And I was like, okay. So I kind of took a tip from him in that way. And I just posted about it. And then I got called from a friend who actually didn't know that I was a painter and that I had also met through promotions. And he's like, Hey, I didn't know you painted. Do you want to come paint my logo on the side of my barn? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I did that. And then I did a couple window paintings. Cause like I said, you know, I had met several business owners through doing promotions and then I just started posting about it. You know, I, I think so many artists, me included in the beginning, were like, oh, I want to do this. But then we're not doing it, you know, right. like it's, it's funny. The moment I started doing it and sharing it, magical things started to happen. <laughs> so yeah. and I did maybe three or four logos for companies around town. And then through promotions, again, I met a business owner who was starting his first business who also worked with Bass Pro Shops on the imagery team. Nice. So when I started posting about it, he saw that and said, Hey, I know that Bass Pro, their logo guy is quitting. Do you want me to put, get you in? And I was like, yes, Yes. (laughs) please. I had no idea that this job even existed. And yeah, so he got me an interview with the, with the main imagery guy at Bass Pro. And I remember being in the interview and just showing him my stuff from college. (laughs) Which Now I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad that they hired me. (laughs) But they had saw the few logos that I had done around town. So they had thought that I was, I knew how to do this and I was like right kind of you know like I did just a couple they thought I was a really great lettering or calligrapher and I just didn't tell them wrong I was just like yeah yeah I can I remember telling them in the interview I can paint anything you want and he was like (laughs) okay and so yeah so they hired me on to Bass Pro but it's funny though because I remember in my interview, I was like, hey, so I can start like right away, but um, in a couple of weeks, I'm leaving for a five-week trip around Europe. I'm just, I'm, I'm going backpacking with these people that I kind of know, not really. <laughs> so they were like, what? <laughs> and that's kind of the trend. When I worked for Bass Pro, I would always ask off, be like, hey, I, I just, I need to go to Thailand for a month and just take a break. And they're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and that's just, that was the trend. I thought it was funny. There was also an inter- interview of you working at the bank and basically saying when you started getting work, telling them, uh, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go to work today because I had this other thing, which cracks me up. I mean, your attitude is so great about this. It's just like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. You know, it's funny because it's, it's a little bit of being naive as well, because <laughs> I ended up getting fired from that bank. They're like, you can't just do that. And I was like, but this other thing is like way more fun and it makes, makes way more money. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and, like, and they're just like, 
I did it so many times. They're like, okay, we got to fire you. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I've always funny story. Yeah. I've always just listened to exactly what's fun. You know, what makes money? What's just what I like. I've just kind of gone in that direction. Yeah. Now I, you also worked an amazing, crazy amount of hours when you did Bass Pro. Is that correct? Like you were saying like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the minimum was 60. And oh my God. That's, yeah. And that's because you're, uh, how many hours a day are you? Oh, <coughs> uh, 60. Yeah. So oh my. yeah, we, we were painting 60 hours a week and it was just the best thing that could have ever happened to me though. It sounds like so much and it was, but I was so young and I mean, I was 24 when I first right. got that job. And so I worked there steadily for like two years, 24, 25 and then a little bit less in 26 and when I was 27. And now I just kind of do little projects here and there for them. Maybe it's three or four a year, which are just a couple like, you know, but one, one day to one week projects. But in the beginning, yeah, we worked 60 hour weeks and that was the minimum. We, and if it was close to a store opening date, we had these crazy deadlines to where I I remember working a couple Oh gosh, like four 17 hour days in a row (laughs) just to to get these murals done. And it's really great though, because looking back on it, you, I had so much pressure behind me because the store was opening no matter what. They're like, you have to get this done. But uh, yeah, Bass Pro, just working around all those other artists. It was a great learning experience. It was like it was, a boot camp for you. It really was. And I went from, in the beginning, doing logos and lettering to I eventually started doing murals. And I was doing murals for about six months where I really hit off this just like takeoff rocket point where I just figured it out. In the beginning, you're just kind of like throwing stuff up and just you know, trying to figure things out. And then I, after about six months of doing it for for 60 hours a week, I was like, Oh, I finally get it. I get it. Like how to do a mural. It's just so much of the reference photo and so many different techniques. And, but yeah, through that boot camp experience, I skyrocketed my progress. And it's a big reason of why now I paint so quickly because I had to back then. We just, we had to, there was just no other choice. And we didn't have this, you know, oh, I'll turn in this painting, you know, a month from now or whatnot. It was, you're there, you might as well paint. And I got to ask all these other artists for their opinions and to help me and to do all that. So it was just the best experience I could have ever That's had. That's amazing. You know, um, you brought up earlier about a projector. Is this how it's done? I, I mean, I really don't know how murals are done. I, I it baffles me. So yeah. uh, is that is? But then you would have to do it like what at a dark time, like during the night, and pop it up onto the wall or something. So <laughs> it's funny because I remember buying my first ever projector when I first started out and it was this tiny little thing and it cost me $400, $400 and it had no special gadgets. It was when technology was just starting, you know, right in the projector world. And it's funny because now I can buy a $300 projector that's really big and amazing and does all these things. You can push it sideways and it'll level itself out up and down nice. and it's so bright as well. So if it's a cloudy day, and I'm, you know, seven feet away from the wall, it'll still project it and I can still see it. So, I mean, in straight sunlight, not so much. So usually I'll go either 
at night, the night before, or the early morning or whatnot, or if, even if it's like in shade, you can still kind of get away with it. And also with a projector, a lot of people are like, oh, that's cheating or oh, you whatever. Like, and I'm like, no, time is money. And I've already drawn it out on the iPad typically. So I'm just going to project it on there. And whenever I project it, I'm not going around with a pencil or a really tiny, you know, anything and doing every single line. I'm all the time just being like a big outline around something and like, I'll maybe like draw in like a leg of an animal and like, okay, a dot for the eyes. And just so I can see like where it's going to be positioned on the wall because so, so much of it is done with a paintbrush anyway. So, I mean, so I'll just lightly chalk it out on the wall and then just do the rest with a paintbrush. It's unbelievable. So I just, I'm still trying to figure it out. So let's say you're up there, you're painting a leg of an animal. Do you have to like get off the lift and walk across the street to see if everything looks all right? Like, how do you do that? Um, kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah, sometimes, I mean, usually I'll like, I'll work for a a good amount of time where I'm like, okay, I need to step back and see how this looks. So every like few hours, I'll say I'll get down and really like every few hours you need to need to go to the bathroom anyway. So anytime I get down. I'm guessing it's almost like how people are drawing on an iPad and they sort of pinch to zoom in and work on a specific detail. That's sort of what you're doing in a very large scale. Yeah. Like when yeah. you're painting that eye or something, you're just kind of just working on that and you already <laughs> have the dimensions. So uh, what happens if it rains mm. and you have a deadline? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, um, I mean, deadlines nowadays aren't as crazy as the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to me, it's a, it's a whole different turn. Like you, it's from that, which again, it's a thriller, um, but it's straightforward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and what have you learned from like going from that to doing this? Like what is the biggest takeaway you think from doing a musical uh, short film? Oh God. I mean, I would again say pre-production will help you no matter what. Asking absolutely every single question, making sure that communication is key, making sure that everyone knows what's going on, but also being flexible because you can, you know, there's, there's a fine line. You can plan and plan and plan and something will always go wrong, but you need to be able to be flexible and embrace change, embrace collaboration, like embrace the fact that you're working, you know, hopefully you've surrounded yourself with a really great team of artists. Um, and you know, I hate auteur theory. I just don't like it. So I never think that one person is solely responsible for what, for a piece of art, you know, it is a group effort. Um, so embrace that, you know, um, Yeah. Why did you move to the West Coast? Was it because of the film? Like I was thinking uh, when I was watching, I'm like, well, musical seems like a New York thing, but film obviously is an L.A. thing. So you're kind of torn between the East and West now. Yes and no. I mean, I, I, my dream is to be bi-coastal, uh, which is funny because, you know, I'm also, <laughs> you know, I'm bi. Yep. I love everything to, you know, <laughs> duality <laughs> is my thing. Um, but... I do think I think there's this a this is a really fine time to bring musicals back in a way that will embrace what modern musicals can be. Um, I wasn't a big fan of La La Land, um, but I think it's like an idea of a step in the right direction. But I just think that we haven't had the Busby Berkeleys or the Gene Kellys and the you know those big sort of musical spectaculars and we haven't done those in a modern way and i do think there's a there's a way to marry you know film and musical this is, um 
Yeah. Yeah, this is a great point. I think some of these things work on stage because they were meant for that. And when they switch to stuff, and they've been doing this a lot lately, where they're taking stage and they're bringing it on to like television. I get it when they're doing that. But like I'm saying, you can't take something that I think you can. Sound of Music's a good example where I can watch that and be like, that's a great film. But it was originally a stage. Um, but I think there's, it could be done better. Yeah. Um, I have you watched Smigadoon yet? No, I haven't. Uh, do you know what it is? No, what is that? <laughs> All, right. All right, it's I believe it's an Apple TV Plus. Uh, so you have to have like. Uh, oh, subs- I do remember seeing this. Okay, yeah. So it, the idea it's like um, Key from Key and Peele, uh, and I forget who the actress is. They get lost on this like. Um, couple's journey in the woods and they come out and it's basically Brigadoon but it's basically this small little town where they think they're in like some kind of uh, you know tourist trap thing but it's an actual musical they get stuck in uh, and it's done well but it's a comedy so it's not right. like uh, it's not like super drama but it's funny and you should check it out I think um, that is something that's doing kind of what you're talking about where we can have musicals on film Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. that's another point to bring up, though, too, is, like, musicals, they're either comedies or they're dramas, and I feel like we have so much more nuance in, in general film, you know, in terms of dramedies or even ro- adding romance or anything like that, but, like, um, there's just, there's there's a way to bring in, like, you know, this is, like, a dark comedy, A Single Evening Is, and, I, you know, there's a way to have nuance without being, like, complete slapstick or being complete, like, lay Miz, like, I'm, dry, I'm yeah. just crying my eyes out, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think this felt natural. A single evening felt natural. Like I could watch if it was, let's say it was a series, like I'd be able to watch that. And it didn't. The problem with Schmigadoon is it's trying to be two things. It's trying to be a comedy show. And then it's trying to also be a musical. And the problem was that the the musical parts stop the film in its track. As opposed to yours it's moving the story forward and you don't feel like, all right, well now I got to wait for this song to end. Yeah. You know, that's what's, and I think short songs too. There's something about musicals where they love having really long songs. (laughs) I I think the best thing for any musical is to have a short song. Also, if you could incorporate more dance, that's one of the things I would love to do in the future is like start incorporating more dance in things, but like short songs for the win because you want to move story forward, you want to move character forward, get, get the point across, get the tune across and then, um, that's the, it's just the best way. I mean, brevity is the soul of wit, you know, <laughs> especially in this day and age. Yes, for sure. Yeah. We're all used to TikTok videos and, and very short things. So we just, we, we're surprisingly, uh, smart when it comes to understanding things in a short span of time. Yeah, that's true. Do you, do you have a favorite musical? My favorite musical is Little Shop of Horrors. Um, <laughs> I actually love the movie. I, I think it's really it a great movie. well done as a movie. And I think that's a really fine example of a time when they took something, maybe even that was staged or, you know, but before that it was a movie, you know, whatever. But um, the way that they did that, I think was really brilliant. Um, and how yeah. it's, I don't know. I, it's just my favorite movie musical. Um, super fun. I mean, I, I am a sucker for like American in Paris and like, you know, singing in the rain, which like has such an unusual form of comedy that was only doable back then. You know, um, you don't see that kind of like comedy anymore. That's so like rapid fire, um, and like just jump right into a song. Um, yeah, 
Singing in the Rain is one of my favorites, especially just as a, a musical film. Um, it's got an amazing cast. Um, so w- give me an example of what you mean by the comedy is you're saying it wouldn't work today or it doesn't or I think it would work I think it's we just haven't seen it like we've we haven't seen something like that in a long time that like very quick I think the only time you might see something similar to that is like in any sort of animated um like hyper comedy like Rick and Morty or something um where they like super fast um and you need to hit it um there's just the the way that like those two riff off of each other, Gene Kelly and um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name, Donald O'Connor. Donald, yes, O'Connor. Oh, my, yeah. oh, O'Connor, what a sweetheart. Um, they're just like rapid fire, and it's like you yep. actually feel the chemistry, and it, then it makes sense when they sing together. Like the chemistry is still there; it's not like stilted. Where I feel like I see um, other musicals or things happen, even like with voice acting, it's like so sad. Uh, because it's always actors now and not actual voice actors. You know what I mean? I agree. You can feel the difference. Um, it doesn't have the same rhythm. It doesn't have that that rapid fire. Um, yeah. So if we can bring some of that fire back, you know, I think we'll <laughs> – or make some new fire, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, – and then you have uh, – oh, now, uh, Debbie Reynolds in Singing in the Rain, which she also has great timing in that as well when, you know, mm-hmm. the Good Morning song. Everything about that – to me, there's no boring moment in that film. Uh, and again, everything brings it forward. It's, uh, those songs are longer, but I think it moves the story forward really well in Singing in the Rain. Um, so can you talk about what this new musical you're working on is? Oh, my God. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's about a breakup. There's three people. And um, it's a short. It's another short. It's like 10 minutes long. Um, and they're all somewhat kind of in a relationship when they shouldn't be. So it's kind of still in the universe of a single evening, um, just without the dating. It's like the, the post dating, it's like these people in a relationship now and like what goes right, what goes wrong. Um, and yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, I wish I could say more, but, um, we're close. We're close. Is it shot in LA? Or like on it the was West shot Coast. in New York. So I did this thing where I decided to shoot a film two weeks before I drove across the country to move to L.A., uh, <laughs> which uh, was pretty wild. Um, but we did it. And it, honestly, it was the best way to say goodbye to New York by shooting a film um, with all of my New York friends um, and contacts. And it, yeah, was this more of a conscious decision after you did a single evening to say, I'm going to write another musical film? Yeah, this one was like on purpose. <laughs> right. So you knew and you're like, okay, I'm g-. and how many songs do you have for this one? This one is uh, four as well. All right. All right. You should come back on my show when you're finished and you're going to release your uh, next yeah. musical. Yes. And would, I'm sure the answer is yes, but does the idea of, of like creating a feature musical, like is that a possibility? Is that scary? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I have one in the works, actually, um, with a friend of mine. We've been co-writing a feature together called Girl Group, um, which is this really sort of magical, realist, um, I think very modern style of musical, um, very, like, family relationship, but inspirational uh, story. And then I I do want to make another sort of really fun, modern feature musical with nice short songs. Um, that will probably be about 90 minutes, which I think is the perfect length for a film. And, yeah, uh, yeah. so hopefully you'll see more so, of me. <laughs> so let's um, wrap up with the – let's talk about the queer part, the LGBT part of your creativity. And um, 
how that's a, a major focus when you're creating stuff. So, well, it's, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't even necessarily say it's like, it's a focus, but because it's already, it's a part of my identity. It's a part of who I am. So it's already driven. Um, it already drives what I do and how I see and how I perceive things. Um, but I do think a bigger thing is I am, am so focused on making sure that we work uh, and continue to work and bring up the voices and the authenticity of queer characters and um, having queer filmmakers in front and behind the camera. Like, I think that's incredibly important. And also, um, I, I truly believe in not restricting ourselves to queer trauma. I think that we exist beyond queer trauma, and that's why films like A Single Evening, you know, the goal is to show another side, and it's not just about struggling with your identity. Um, you know, it's just about struggling with dating, you know, or struggling with loneliness. Right. Right. I think we're going to see more things like that as people become, you know, as it's normalized, we'll see that. But, uh, what do you, what do you feel like in the film industry is the either cliches or tropes or things that they go to all the time that really, when you're watching something, you get pissed. Oh my God. Um, the biggest one is when a character, uh, it's like, oh, okay, they're just a, it's a man hooking up with a woman. And then the man turns around and he hooks up with a man. It's like, oh, but he's bi. And it's like a plot twist. You know, it's like, oh my God, come on. Like my, my identity is not a plot twist. You know? <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting. Cause that has been so many times the, uh, the plot in whenever they would introduce these homosexual characters, um, it was, you know, there was always, uh, what was the one with the, I'm going to pause here because I blanked on the movie, but it was Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone where she played a bisexual serial killer and the gay community was very upset about it. But the the audiences, of, you know, in the LGBT community were like, why does everybody have to be the villain if you're gay? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, and it's nice to be able to watch things where that's not, it's just like that's who the character is. You know, it's film is very slow. At least the industry is very oh, slow. Oh, yeah, the industry is on. very slow. <laughs> yeah, they're like not quite in tune. And it's so funny because they see themselves as like ahead of trends, but really right. they're so far behind. Um, and they, it's because they still try, they think that they're catering to a mass. Um, and it's a mass that doesn't need to be the mass. Like they have far more, you know, in the industry, we have far more power um, than we actually believe in terms of actually leading instead of following a trend. You know what I mean? Right. And there's so many stories. I mean, I think there's just so many stories that don't, like you said, don't involve trauma that could be told. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and there's a lot, lot of that. Um, filmmakers, who's your favorite? Do you have favorite filmmakers, directors? Uh, I love Barry Jenkins. Anything that Barry Jenkins does is, is very magical um, and so stunning. Um, favorite actor is Ewan McGregor. Couldn't tell you why. Just, I just love that man. <laughs> Uh, I love you and McGregor too. Um, yeah. but I'm trying to think what is it that was it train spotting? Was it Star Wars? Like, you know, honestly, I think it was Moulin Rouge at first. As oh, sad okay. as that is. Moulin yes. Rouge was a hit, you know, and then I saw Train Spotting and it was like, yo, that was, <laughs> this guy is fire. That movie's and then, messed up, but it's yeah. so good. Such a good movie. He's really good in it. And also, like, I, I kinda like when I was young, I got on this like Ewan McGregor kick and I literally like watched everything he was in. And I think it was just the fact that it was his selection of uh, whatever he did was so diverse and he could play to it all. You know, like he could do drama, he could do comedy, he could do different accents and he was committed to those. And I, I admire that a lot. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. he is amazing. Oh, uh, there was another thing. You love karaoke? Oh, yeah. I'm a karaoke like princess. So it's pretty bad. I yeah. love karaoke, but I know one thing about people who love karaoke. They have a go-to song. So oh, what yeah. is yours? Um, I usually like Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. I think that's a good one. Um, okay. Guns N' Roses. Uh, uh, wh- wow, I just blanked on the name. Wow. <laughs> What, welcome Sweet to Child the Jungle. Mine? Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, welcome to the Jungle. Okay, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, I did that at a live band karaoke once, and it was the best experience. That must have been amazing. Oh, my yeah. God, amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, any, like, Alanis Morissette, uh, you know. And I was finding I was doing stuff on the weekends and at night, and so now I try not to work at night. I try. <laughs> it <laughs> still happens, but and I try not to work on the weekends, but sometimes it happens too. So. so what habits do you think someone who wants to take their art and make it a business, what are some good habits that they should have? So the first one is surrounded by this idea that we do in the artist Academy every January. And we have a bunch of different challenges throughout the year to really just reinforce this one main idea of paint every single day. And if you can just dedicate 30 minutes or an hour to painting or drawing every single day and then posting about it too, even if you think it's not interesting, even if you think people, you're annoying people, just do those two things and magical things will start to happen because I was talking to an artist just last week who I met at this like banquet thing where I had a bunch of art and she came up and she's like, Oh, you're an artist. I want to be an artist. Like I want to do full time. How do I do it? And I was like, well, show me your Instagram. And she's like, well, I don't actually post anything Mm -hmm. about it. And I was like, well, do you paint? And she's like, yeah, I paint, you know, for my family and friends sometimes, but like nobody sees it. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, 